This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. From our virtual studios in the Netherlands and Camarillo, California. It's time once again for your absolute favorite show about marketing that has geeks in the title. That's right. It's Marketing Geeks with your host, Justin Womack. And Andrew Sturgeon, I'll introduce you. Why not? And we have a very, very exciting show today because we are going to be joined by the source of education on the East Coast. We have a marketing professor coming on the show to talk about the state of marketing education in 2019 and beyond. And it's exciting stuff. It's exciting. Absolutely. We are joined with a very special guest today. We're going to get into aspects of marketing we don't normally get into. And uh, it is going to be an amazing show, folks. We have uh, information that is going to be relevant not only to you, but to people who are in your orbit, your dog, your cat, the whole kit and caboodle. And without further ado, it is time for the Marketing Geeks. Marketing Geeks. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19, all new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So, you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall, rock-climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So, whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Welcome, everybody. We are here with a very special guest, Brian McLeod is with us. I'm sorry, I got to do it, man, because I'm a geek. McLeod, you've, you've never, you've never had that. No, no one's ever done that to you, right? And, and I wanted to clarify that it's it's not McLeod because no. I had said that on the last episode when I was giving him a shout out. So this is the same gentleman that listened to our show for like 11 hours straight. And when you do that, you get a guaranteed guest spot on the show. So that's why we're bringing you on. Now, the, now the first thing, <laughs> this is the first thing. I mean, it, it, yeah, I mean, I, when, when, when you told us that, I just, I couldn't, I mean, I, I, I can't do something that feels good for 11 hours. And you listened to our, to like, you, you, to, you binge listened. That is amazing. I, I like, why? well first of all first of all i'm a huge fan you guys are fantastic and i i I like i like keeping my finger on the pulse of everything that's 
going on and i'm a geek so when i came across your podcast it just made absolute perfect sense and once i started i just i couldn't stop well you're you're, you're the man and uh i i truly we, we truly truly appreciate it so we have one of our seven listeners here with us uh live and why don't you uh which means there's only six of them out there listening right now that's right that's right so <laughs> you know the, the 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 pool is thinning uh, Brian, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're, where you are right now? Because you're on the East Coast, just as of course on the West Coast. I'm on the other side of the planet. So, uh, yeah, give us a, a little bit of a rundown about your credentials. You know where you are and what you're doing, because it's a really fascinating story. Well, I'll give a little bit of background to me because it kind of leads to where I'm at on the East Coast. Um, I grew up in a very small town in Illinois, and when I graduated high school, uh, I didn't want to be a farmer, didn't want to be a nurse, didn't want to, at the time, didn't want to be a teacher. So I went into the Navy and uh, I was 18 years old. And my first deployment, we helped confiscate three and a half tons of cocaine Nice, uh, right off the, right off the coast of uh, Columbia. It was awesome. And uh, I got the itch to practice law. So after eight years of the Navy, I got out, went to school got my law degree and I practiced for a couple of years. And after I was practicing and I was uh, also earning my MBA. So I was practicing law and earning my MBA at the same time. And I realized I hated practicing law, but this thing called marketing was fantastic. And I had a professor tell me, uh, you know, you should really go get your PhD. And I told my wife, I was like, what would you think about four more years of school and she's like well you've already been in nine so what's another four (laughs) (laughs) so uh i applied for and got my phd in marketing and that was in 2016 uh and i got it wait hold on hold on so you have so you have a um what's your bachelor's in it's in workforce education Okay, so you have a bachelor's in workforce education, you have an MBA, you have a law degree, and you have a PhD in marketing? That is correct. Wow. (laughs) You are the most educated guest we've ever had on our show. (laughs) It's it's true. And and so so you ended up, uh, and now you're teaching marketing to, uh, you know, the Gen Ys and Gen Zs of the world. And... Uh, it's a whole, it's, it's a, it's like a whole new ball game because we are now post, um, Cambridge Analytica and, uh, you know, this is, this is a, a world where, uh, for a few hundred thousand dollars, you can, uh, change a, uh, election that affects, uh, politics globally. Right. Uh, yes. and we are, we, people are moving away from traditional advertising, uh, Facebook is becoming less relevant. And so th- this was one of the things that I found really interesting about your resume was uh, that you, uh, you know, you're, you're right there on the front lines. And so, you know, and, and you're teaching it because uh, as we move away from the, uh, you know, the traditional getting a job and staying at the job for 20 years and more into the gig economy where people are just kind of their own uh, you know, they're not, they're, they're just doing gigs. And of course, uh, automation is disrupting uh, traditional, the traditional workforce. Uh, I, I'd love to find out, number one, uh, what, what kind of things you're teaching, how you're teaching it, and what, 
what the future generation has to uh, be concerned about as we move forward and how marketing is changing. So uh, wh why don't we start off by, first of all, uh, how do you specifically teach marketing? Because it's not like there, you know, it, things are so new still that there's not any kind of curriculum. So, so what, what's your methodology? Well, and, and how much of it is, is traditional versus digital too? I want you to throw that in there too. Okay. Um, well, first of all, it's, it's difficult because something can change in the middle of a semester and you're teaching an old way and you have this new way and you're like, well, crap. What do I do? Um, <laughs> so I would say uh, where I'm at, I teach it right now. It's about 50 50. And I say that because I try to take and put a digital spin on everything I teach, because I think it's I think digital marketing is that important mm. um, because everything that we used to do. And, you know, when I first started, when I first started the Ph.D. program, you know, all these things that we learned for marketing are now being not, not only being done traditionally, but they're being done digitally. And so I feel it important to teach my students both ways, because if they don't know something, it just hurts them in the job market. Uh, and like Andres was saying, with this gig economy, if you don't know something, they're just going to hire someone to do something that knows how to do it. So it's, it's a challenge because it's always changing so fast because in the middle of a semester, Facebook will change your algorithm or Facebook will, uh, will change something. And you're like, well, shoot, <laughs> what do I do? And then all of a sudden you get research that says, well, there's not a lot of millennials using Facebook anymore. Yeah. And so you've, you've got, you, you had this, you know, for the past three or four years where Facebook was it, and trying to teach these kids, look, Facebook isn't it anymore. You have to learn other ways. This is kind of interesting um, because this is probably the first time ever that the landscape shifts is shifting faster than the textbooks. I mean, in, in the subject of marketing specifically, it's almost like if you're going to get hired for even for a job these days, you really need to have a supplemental education still going on the on the side, and that you know that can happen with programs like Lynda.com. Um, where they have all these different courses where you can consume and learn new softwares and they're updating them year after year, or they have like those sites like Skillshare now where you can, uh, where people are uploading content and you can keep up on, on relevant, <clears throat> on relevant gigs. But, but it, I think, I think we are moving into this area where um, it's not enough to just have like a bachelor's degree or a degree in marketing. There has to be this extra supplemental continuing education Almost like you have like with like insurance licenses or law licenses, I'm sure, where you have to keep up with continuing education, but it's just not regulated by the government. Um, but I, I do feel like you, ha if you're not doing that, there's no way you're going to be successful in a marketing career. Would you agree with that? Or Absolutely. I would, I would absolutely agree with that. And that would be why, like I said, I like to keep my pulse on what's changing. And that would lead to 11 hours of listening to the marketing geeks as I travel halfway across <laughs> the country. Um, because uh, you guys are out there and I can, it's, it's one thing to keep, your eyes out and read the stories as they come through and read newspapers and stuff like that. But actually listening and talking to people like you that are out there doing it every single day, that helps me uh, 
make sure that my students are getting the relevant information that they need. And, you know, it's not just me that does it. I have a really good friend, shout out to David Houghton at Xavier uh, in Cincinnati, who does the same thing. He's constantly keeping his his uh, finger on the pulse of the industry to find out uh, what they need. And we're always telling our students, don't stop when you get your bachelor's, because by the time you get your bachelor's six months later, something is going to change. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, 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 and it must be a challenge for you because you may be teaching something, as you said, in, in the middle of the semester. It's like, OK, guys, all that stuff that I said uh, last week, it's irrelevant now. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, it's like it's like, for instance, uh, here's a here's a great case in point. I've got a client right now. Uh, who uh, a huge company? It's it's like the the, the biggest client I've ever had. And uh, the first thing I had to tell them was they said, "Well, you know, we're getting our social media stuff in order. Uh, you know, we're still trying to set up our Facebook page. And this is a this is a high end business to business product for architecture. And uh, I was like, "Well, Facebook is not really <laughs> where you want to be, guys. If you're doing business to business high end, you know." Uh, types of marketing, and that's uh, they they were a little confused by that, and uh, you know even even as I looked at at how they had built their uh, website, they had they had spent about four months building it, and in that time, uh, Google changed their algorithm to really rely on the AMP technology, which is their sort of uh, way of of making sure that a a, a website is uh, optimized for mobile. And, uh, and, and the, the website's not AMP optimized. And so we have, you know, that's, that's an issue. And so just in that short amount of time that they went from sending the project uh, forward to launching the website, the, the whole thing had changed. Uh, so, you know, there's a, there's a few, there's a few questions I, I have specifically because as we are entering this time where you're, you've got these young kids and you said something really interesting to me before the show started. Uh, which was about uh, kind of self-branding and reputation management. You want to you want to explain that a little bit? Sure. Um, my marketing. I teach at a, it's a liberal arts college. I know that kind of has a bad misnomer, but I actually kind of, you know, I think they it has some value. But I get a lot of students uh, in my principals class that are not business majors. So they may be nursing majors, uh, science. Uh, so. I have to try to relate to them marketing concepts. And one of the very first things that I do when I introduce myself and I introduce the class is I tell them how relevant marketing is to them personally and to their everyday lives. And I said, I teach them that they are their own personal brand, not only from, uh, you know, when they send out resumes or CVs, but from what they post on social media, what they share on social media, how they talk on social media, you know, they, they're going to have a digital footprint, whether they're trying to date or they're trying to find a job. Uh, it's all marketing and it's all personal branding. And it's important that they start immediately to start building this how they want others to see them. Because if they can't put a, a positive image, uh, that will hurt them. And also, if they can't differentiate it themselves and show why they should be hired over someone else, then uh, they're just going to be they're going to be passed over. And it starts from the very first time I taught them. Yeah. Now this is this is really I mean this is a really interesting uh, concept because um, Justin and I have taught a lot of classes on uh, LinkedIn, 
and uh, how, do you, how to leverage LinkedIn. And uh, I never uh, finished college. I, I got close, but um, I was making too much money, so I just was like, I don't need a college degree. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, for a while it, it was an issue, but now, you know, they what, what people look at is they just looked at my LinkedIn profile. And a lot of times they don't even – they don't even check up on, you know, the, uh, the, the jobs that I did have. I, they never asked me for references. They just look at my LinkedIn profile. They're like, yeah, it looks pretty good. And, uh, you know, I have a pretty good portfolio too, so I can show them that. But, uh, but it's really, you know, we're moving into a time where, where education isn't as important as, uh, you know, how you present it to the world. And so, so you, you, you're in a unique position because not only are you teaching the marketing, but on a subtle level, you've got to teach these uh, young people how to also run their own business because they're probably not going to find a traditional job, right? It's getting harder. It really is. And so uh, it's everything from teaching them how to uh, brand themselves to how they run their own jobs, um, what they have to do. And that's the one thing that they have to do to get a marketing degree. They have to learn everything from management to accounting to finance uh, so they have to learn all these things that will help them run their own business. Going back to going back to the idea of branding, though, I just wanted to bring in a couple of things because it is important that you're conscious of what your digital footprint at, is out in the world. And when we taught that LinkedIn class, one of the things that I like to to bring out again and again is that when you Google your name, your LinkedIn profile is generally going to be in the top three results of that Google search. Your Facebook profile is probably going to show up in those top results. If you have a website, it'll probably be up there as well. But, uh, but typically, one of the first things people are going to see is your LinkedIn profile because um, it just gets it gets really well SEO'd and tied to your name. And if you if you have um, a horrible LinkedIn profile and you're trying to get a job somewhere, it doesn't necessarily look very good. Right. Or if you're posting very very polarizing things on the internet and uh, which. I mean, it can't, if you're posting polarizing things, it depends who you're interviewing with. You might be, you might hit the right person and they love you for it, or you might hit the wrong person and you're disqualified instantly. And, and then you don't end up, to, yeah. And then you, you're not directing, uh, you're not directing Guardians of the Galaxy three. Yeah, exactly. Then you're not directing <laughs> poor James Gunn, but you are directing Suicide Squad two, Andros. That's true. Um, That's true. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and then the 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 last thing I wanted to say is because Andros did mention too that we are. Um, somewhat moving away from traditional education. Uh, we did a whole episode on uh, Robert Cialdini's work on the book Influence. And one of the, the six influence patterns that he brings up is the influence pattern of authority. And there are alternate ways of establishing authority that didn't exist in the past. And one of the, I mean, we've, we've talked a lot about like when you do Facebook lives or you lead classes, even it doesn't even matter what your credentials are. There's a there's perceived authority that's automatically established simply by leading a class. And that can be misused or it can be used for good, but that's the reality that um, there's, there are ways of creating these perceived authority that, didn't, that weren't as accessible to people in the past, even starting a podcast like this or um, starting a YouTube channel. Like a lot of these things are available that weren't there before um, that can give people more prestige than they've than in the past, that, uh, or it's easier than ever to do that. Right. And I, I fully agree. Uh, that's why in one of my classes, you know, I have them build a website from scratch. And 
they they kind of at first are like, oh man, why are you having me build? I don't know how to build a website. And I say, well, that's why you're going to learn. And just the sheer fact of them designing the website and having their own website with their own name uh, gives them some sort of perceived authority. Hey, I know how to do this. I can do this. And they can put stuff on that site that says, hey, I'm an expert in this. Yeah. So, so tell, tell me, why don't you walk us through the process of like what you're teaching and how you're teaching it? Because it sounds really robust and, and it does sound like you take them through the whole process. So uh, yeah, why don't you give us the whole kind of rundown of what your curriculum looks like? Okay. Uh, for all my classes, you're just, uh, I'll start off with my principal's class because that's where it begins. And, you know, I teach them how to, that their own brand, that their personal brand is really important. And I've started something new this semester. Um, they have to develop a marketing plan for something. Uh, it has to be something that's not out in the world yet. Um, it doesn't have to be brand new, but it could be just an adaptation. So before Uber Eats became a thing, uh, they could have came up with the idea of having someone go get your food and bring it to you. It's it's, it's that simple. But the whole mm-hmm. goal is to get them to go through the process of being creative and designing this product. Now, what's relevant to you guys is this semester, what I've started to do is it used to be a like 20 to 25 page paper at the end group project and it was it was rough they they hated it because it's a lot of writing and a lot of research and then it's just your typical paper um so what i've started to do is in my very first class the very first semester that they meet me they start designing a website and they take this marketing plan and they put it on the website and what i'm doing there is i'm trying to get them to learn how to condense their writing for digital use uh, because we all know that nobody goes on a web page and wants to read, you know, 6,000 <laughs> words. They want straight to the point. Yes. So I, I teach them. So I'm teaching them how to do that. Look, I, let me, let me add something there real quick. Cause, cause I, I was at a, a digital marketing conference last year and it's called traffic and conversions. It's one of the big ones. It's run by the company digital marketer. And I think it was uh, I think it was Perry Belcher. He's one of the um, the higher ups at that company. He was on stage and he he talks about how whenever he does email marketing, um, he purposely will never write. Uh, so he uses, he uses a software called Hemingway, and the software Hemingway, which you can buy like a lifetime license for for I think twenty or twenty five bucks, it'll it'll basically tell you the grade level of your language. And so when he writes for email marketing or for um, or for websites, he, he doesn't want to go above a fifth grade level. And um, and I know that's kind of funny, but it, the reality is that the research when he's, he's done a lot of research on this uh, is that writing at that level is the most effective for sales and marketing. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of interesting that you have to kind of dumb it down. So if you're I mean, for you, for instance, you've gone through like Ph.D. programs, you've gone through MBAs. It's almost like having to relearn a different style of writing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, it is. It is. What are and, you saying, Andres? And he has a law degree on top of that. A law degree too, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's a completely different way to write, and I feel almost bad because they, you know they take these English classes and they think that that the English classes, which is very important, you have to know how to read and write. But they come in and for these marketing plans, they were wanting it was like they were wanting to win a Pulitzer Prize or write this really romantic novel, and a lot of the stuff could be just cut out. And so I'm hoping with this website, they get experience building a website. 
but they also get experience writing short and concise uh, because no one wants to read a lot. And that's kind of how I do my principles class. And I teach them about social media marketing. And one of the biggest things I have to do is to tell them that likes really don't mean anything on Facebook. Um, they think <laughs> just because you get a lot of likes that it's, it means that you're an effective marketer. And I, I, I that's not how it really works. Doesn't make conversions. <laughs> uh, right. Right. Exactly. And so, but you get a nice uh, dopamine spike. The more likes you get, the more <laughs> dopamine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, they get a lot of dopamine dopamine spikes when they're in my class sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, okay. So you, you get them, you know, and, and this is something, and it's, it's awesome that you get them to build their own website because um, uh, one of the ways that I started building websites was this very thing where I, I didn't feel like I could. And once I started doing it, I realized how easy it was and it wasn't like learning Elvish or anything. It was, it was, you know, it's it, especially now with uh, the new, version of WordPress that just came out of Gutenberg, it is incredibly easy uh, yes. to use a Divi, um, like a Divi template, like I do a lot. It's, I mean, you know, so I, I tell anybody who is, uh, it, you know, a business owner, like, don't just learn how to build your own website. You'll, you'll save a ton of money at the end of the day. And it's powering. So you teach them how to build a website and then you get them into analytics, right? Yep. Uh, that's for my principles class. And I don't have time in my principles class to get into analytics. Uh, so those that want to carry over and my classes are typically uh, full uh, when they take my marketing communications class, that's when we start learning uh, about digital analytics, Google analytics. Um, I'm eventually, I, I'm torn between uh, teaching Facebook <laughs> uh, because I don't know where that's going. So, uh, right. but uh, I have a curriculum that I have to stick to for the catalog, but I turn everything as much as I can into digital and I give them incentives to learn outside of my class. Like you were saying, they got to continue learning. So for example, some of the students in my class, they got uh, their individual qualification for Google analytics. Um, and they did so because they were able to replace, I let them replace their lowest exam score if they got certified. So I had several students hmm. went out and got certified and I made it to where they couldn't cheat, by the way. So, uh, so they got qualified. Wait, how do you make it so they couldn't cheat? How do you, how do you do that? Um, they have to document the amount of time that they're doing. Um, I make them send me screenshots of them doing it. Uh, I, just, I, I, I do, I do my best, uh, the, except, uh, sitting with them in a computer lab, which might be the next step. Um, <laughs> but you know, I, I give them incentive and some are working on, uh, more through the AdWords, uh, mm -hmm. ad, ads Academy. I just got yeah. invited to do a survey. I guess Google is redoing their, uh, Academy and they were asking like, how would you like to do this one uh, one separate place for everything or when you, you want it divided up into chunks. But so I offer incentives for them to go out and do other types of uh, qualifications. Yeah, I think that's great because I think uh, I think there's a lot of value in those certifications um, from a perceptual standpoint. I don't know that they necessarily 
I mean, the fact that you went through them, that means that you've learned that you've at least been exposed to the material. You've learned how to use Google Analytics, Google AdWords. Um, but from a perceptual standpoint, if, if you have a certification, people look at you differently. It gives you a different level of authority. And it right. looks great on a resume, too. So I, I think that's great that you're making them get those um, those certifications because I do think I think it matters. And, and for those of you who don't know, who are listening, you just, you know, the, Google offers a full course for free uh, to become a uh, Google certified uh, uh, Google AdWords. Uh, Lots of them. The Google AdWords, yeah. Google Analytics. Uh, Facebook offers a course for free called Facebook Blueprints. And that's right. I, I just say real. I just say real quick though that um, I don't think Facebook is going away. I, I maybe me and Andres have a little bit of a disagreement on the direction of that. I mean, they did um, just post a, they posted their financials. I think it was yesterday or the day before. And despite all of the controversies, their profits are still up for 2018, in spite of all those controversies. So I, I still think that they are a force to be reckoned with in the advertising world. Um, they definitely have taken a hit, and they're, they are vulnerable, but I, I don't think that they're um, exposed completely yet. We'll see, though. I'm not, I, I'm not ruling it out. <laughs> I, would, I, I would agree with that. My, uh, my only concern is with the, uh, this generation, um, you'll see that more and more of my classes, I asked them what uh, social media accounts they have, and every semester, the amount that have Facebook decreases. Um, mm. So that has me a little concerned for Facebook. Um, what about Instagram, though? Instagram, uh, it's, it's, I, it baffles me when students say, ah, no, I don't trust Facebook, so I'm on Instagram. And I'm like, well, <laughs> <laughs> let so, me. Okay. Don't tell so them. Just don't tell them. <laughs> and, and, you know, what, one of the reasons they're still growing is because they're, they're getting huge uh, inroads into uh, different parts of Asia where Facebook is like the main platform that they use to even uh, send money to one another and communicate. Uh, but, uh, but, but let me, let me ask you this, Brian, I, cause this is one of the things that I'm really curious about. You mentioned, you know, that they're, that these students are using, uh, Facebook less and less. What I, I'm curious about really is like, what, what do you see? Like, what are the, as these young people are coming into the world and they're, they're definitely wired different than our generation, right? I mean, it's a, it's a whole different kind of ball game. Uh, they're they're influenced by social media, yet also becoming a little more wise to what is real and what is fake. And uh, what what is you what, what's the trends that you're seeing? Not just with marketing, but how marketing is going to be used, how social is going to be used. Like, what are the things that you're noticing as you're teaching these younger people? Well, one of the things that I notice um, is the reasons that they they leave. Uh, are leaving Facebook is because, you know, mom and grandma are on there. Um, mom and grandma aren't necessarily on Instagram. Mom and grandma aren't on YouTube. Um, so I've noticed that the, that's the reason they leave, but I'm noticing that I don't want to sound bad, but the attention span for reading uh, is is decreasing a little bit. So they move from Facebook where there's a lot of reading and yeah, there's a lot of uh, a video and stuff, but they're going to Instagram where it's pictures and it's, it's a lot of visual and they're going to YouTube. Um, and they're going to, they're, they're using Snapchat. 
because it's quick, it's easy. Uh, in fact, that's how uh, they they communicate. That's how some of them get their news is via Snapchat. Uh, hmm. It's 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 strange. So so how is this going to affect number one? How is it going to affect marketing in the future as the audience uh, for marketing, like the people who are going to be responding to marketing, are going to be these young people uh, as they become more part of the uh, digital economy? Uh, so how how is the marketing going to change, and how is the uh, how are the techniques going to change in your mind and where is it all going eventually in your mind? Uh, the, uh, where's it all going? That is a tricky question because, you know, five years ago I would have said Facebook and YouTube would have been it for, you know, a long time. Um, I think Facebook has taken a hit because of the privacy issues. Uh, and also I think it's taken a hit because this generation is tired of having marketing forced upon them no matter what they do. A lot of them, they complain about ads in the middle of videos. So they'll be watching a video and there's an ad. Uh, they're, they're talking about how they don't like how ads are being infiltrated into their inboxes in uh, Facebook. But I think as more and more of these students become the ones in charge, I think that may change. I think right now marketers are struggling to catch this generation any way they can. Uh, they're they're, yeah, they're chasing mean, it, them. This kind of gets into um, the concepts of like inbound versus um, outbound marketing where defining that real quick, like outbound is considered like the former disruptive model, like putting an ad in the middle of the video, you're disrupting them. Or like back when we had, back when TV sets existed in cable, way back when, <laughs> uh, you know, there were commercials in between your shows. Can you believe that? Um, and you couldn't, you couldn't skip them. <laughs> you know, I had to wait. Um, but the, the, so that's like the traditional disruptive or, I mean, just ads showing up on your screen. Now, I think, I mean, with inbound marketing, that's the idea that you can create like educational content with a call to action at the end and kind of draw people in that way. Um, but also, I think that what's been effective with the younger generation is this influencer marketing that's basically taking the concepts of product placement yep. and putting them into instead of putting them in movies and television shows, you're putting them with your influencers. And we talked um, well, we talked last week and we talked a little bit about the fire festival and the Netflix documentary on that whole festival and how influencer marketing made it get completely out of control. They basically weaponized or um, they they utilized influencer marketing um, in a mega dose. They got all these major influencers simultaneously to post a, um, a very attention-grabbing graphic that brought in tons of attention to the Fry Festival. And this, uh, if you're not, I don't know if you're familiar with it or not, but it was uh, essentially a scam music festival um, event. And it's a very interesting, ja Rule, right? yeah, Ja Rule was uh, one of the, he was, on a, well, he was a co-founder of it, um, although he didn't take any heat. He got, he got off pretty good, or he got off pretty, uh, pretty unpunished. Pretty easy. Other than, I guess, a little bit of a reputation, a reputation hit. So they actually have a documentary on Hulu, I found out, and Netflix. So I watched, I watched the Hulu one in between the last episode and this one. <laughs> and uh, so I saw both of them. But it's just it just shows you the power that they all the young generation fell hook, line and sinker for this influencer marketing product placement. 
Um, but yeah, they don't like disruptive ads. So there's, there's other ways of reaching them. I think that that's why right. I think that, that influencer marketing is so powerful uh, right so, now. So Brian, what do you think, what, how, how do you see the future of marketing as, you know, especially just, I mean, do you, do you see patterns developing where you see it, it's going uh, as it moves away from traditional uh, online marketing? Like what, what do you think the future is going to look like when it comes to online marketing? Man, I tell you, I talked to my students about this the other day, and I think it's for a while, it's going to be more and more of this uh, intrusive marketing. Um, I can't remember where I was reading about Snapchat developing new technology where they can, uh, someone will send a snap or something and it'll, you know, pick up the brand in the snap. Um Again, more disruptive marketing. Yeah, I think I was reading about that a while ago. I, maybe they're maybe they're finally taking that into uh, production. I think I was reading about them uh, working on it for a while. Yeah, and I think they're going to get more and more creative. And you know, to me, putting on my legal hat, um, <laughs> that makes somebody almost like a spokesperson, or they're endorsing it, and they're not going to get any money from it. That kind of. Uh. Uh, <laughs> that now I'll take my legal head off. Um, I think for a while it, it's going to get more and more obtrusive, but I agree with Justin that uh, these influencers are getting more and more uh, uh, power. Yeah. Um, and it's not just uh, the YouTube influencers. Uh, I live in the middle of NASCAR country and the, the amount of influence that I, I went to one NASCAR race and the amount of influence that these drivers have on consumption is, is intense. I have never seen anything like it. Um, but you know, uh, people like, uh, what's her name? I Justine, uh, who has millions of followers and people will buy just because she does, she tries it. Um, so I think there's going to be a lot more influencer marketing going on, uh, Maybe yeah, even forced. Well, with uh, I mean, going back to that Fry documentary one more time with with Kendall Jenner, for instance, um, she oh, it, they said that she's able to charge two hundred and fifty thousand dollars for a single post because of the level of influence and the impact on sales that she has from one post, and, and basically. She's able to, I mean, if you were like a, a mom and pop brand, she's able to take you from, you know, no exposure to like a household name practically in, you know, seconds. It's, uh, it's pretty incredible the power that these, uh, these, <laughs> that these high level influencers yield. Um, and it's, yeah, it, it's a, it, some of these like, people like her are really have more influence than any celebrities, you know, from the eighties or nineties, um, when they were in their Haiti, heyday, Haiti, and when they were in their heyday in Hollywood, <laughs> um, these influencers now have more, they have more impact than them even. So it's, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty incredible when you, when you sit back and think about it. Now, one thing that we, we talked about way back when Andros was the implementation of AR augmented reality and, uh, and that's kind of what Snapchat is. They're kind of like an early generation augmented reality. But it, yeah, I think I think pretty soon when they figure out this whole wearable tech and they could figure out augmented reality glasses, I think what you're saying where where the brand like pops up, that's going to be common. So you'll you'll have like your AR glasses yeah. on. You'll walk around and then like you look at somebody's shoes and then like a an advertisement will pop up or like there'll be like a price logo or a description of the shoes will pop up as you're looking at them. <laughs> um, I do think that is coming. 
Uh, I don't know if it'll be accepted or how it'll be reacted to, but I do think that they're going to be developing that. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Um, You know, it it, it reminds me of uh, now probably lose my geek status for this, but I love the movie ready player one. I thought the movie was great. And they had the part where he's showing what happens when he takes over uh, the system and he has ads just all over. And, you know, they said they can feel, like 93% of the screen before people start convulsing. Um, I think, that, you know, I'm thinking, you know, that, that may be where we're headed. And I think the problem with it is the problem now is pardon my language, but they're trying to throw shit at the wall and see what sticks. Uh, because the, the, the generation now and the older generation, um, the older generation, there are a lot that are adapting to tech. My mom uses a smartphone now, you know, and she's she's in her 70s. Uh, and there are some uh, students that don't have any social media whatsoever, <laughs> you know, and it's like they're trying to find they're trying to find out what works. But I think it's going to get more disruptive, uh, more disruptive and more in, uh, intrusive reliance on in Yeah. And and a lot more uh, reliance on uh, these influencers for a while. Um, so I, it, it just baffles me the amount of power they have. Well, let me ask you this because uh, one of the things I found really fascinating, especially, you know, cause we, we, we're, we're basically, you know, on the edge of total dystopia. Um, you know, if I, I mean, if I had read in a book, uh, you know, in 1985, if I had read what is happening now, uh, I wouldn't have believed it. I would have, or if I saw it in a movie, uh, I would have thought that it was some kind of like joke, right? So, uh, so, so, right. What? Uh, how do you see like how are the, the 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 young people who are now able to vote and they're going to be uh, taking over, uh, you know, in politics and and helping to run the world in the next few years? Uh, what's their sort of attitude about everything that's happening and how they're being disrupted over and over again what's you know how are they dealing with it um well the first word is annoyance um they're annoyed by it and the second word would be skeptical uh a lot of skepticism with what uh they see what with what they hear and the that's kind of, and I'm not talking about just the political front. I'm talking about, you know, marketing in general. They're skeptical, which is why I think there's this strong reliance on, uh, for them, for these influencers, because they're less skeptical of these influencers than they are of companies saying, hey, this is what we do. Um, well, I mean, like, what, how are they, how, what, like, what's their, I mean, do they seem apathetic? I mean, they, uh, I'll put it to you this way. The, 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 uh, a very good friend of mine by the name of Josh Dekel, who I think we're going to have on the show pretty soon, um, he just did, uh, he, he's a documentary filmmaker, and he just uh, he's made a movie called uh, Generation Revolution, which I had the uh, honor of seeing an advanced screening of. And it's about kind of this younger generation and how they're coming up in the world. And, you know, some of the statistics are that uh, they, you know, first of all, they're inheriting a world that is not better than their parents' generation. And, uh, and, and they're, you know, they're, right. they're not sure that voting even helps anything and the environment is uh, coming apart uh, and the economy is going to be slowing down. 
So, so what, I mean, what's their attitude with uh, how the, the world that they're inheriting? Do they feel apathetic towards it or do they feel like there's something they can actually do to make something change in this world? Well, you actually have two different groups. And unfortunately, the group that is apathetic is larger than the group that thinks that they can make a positive change. Um, you have, on one hand, you have the apathetic group that they just feel uh, it, it, it's at a loss. Um, even uh, my son, you know, he said the other day, why would I vote? I'm only one person. And I'm like, well, if everyone had that opinion, then, you know. But um, so they're apathetic. and They vote because they're told they have to, right? They don't vote because they think they can make a change. Um, that's what I'm seeing where I'm at is – you know, they're, they're told to vote. So they vote and they vote how they want to vote, but it's more of, uh, of a tradition or, um, it's what's expected of them versus, Hey, I can actually make a change. But then you have a smaller group, uh, that I see that are out there and they, they, they're the true believers. They're the ones that think they can make the change. I think that, that they can, uh, their vote, their vote matters 100%. They're out there. Um, and it's really weird because they're, they're they're like polar opposites. One's just, eh, I'll do it because I want to. And the other one's like, I'm going to do this because damn it, I'm going to change the world. Um, so I'm seeing both ends of the spectrum. Um, now, whether or not it's where I'm at now, uh, is why I'm seeing both ends and one, side of the spectrum is larger than the other. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but I do notice, uh, a trend with, like I mentioned earlier, that they're becoming more and more skeptical about what they read, hear, and see. So maybe this skepticism will lead, uh, the skepticism maybe will lead to more, uh, positivity and more, an idea that they can change. No, now this this is this is one of the interesting things that I find because statistically, and this was again covered in my um, my buddy Josh Dickel's, uh movie, is that a lot of young people uh, are drawn towards uh, like companies that have some sort of social purpose. Like a, a, it used to be once upon a time mm-hmm. that if you ran a company, you had to stay away from being controversial on any level. You couldn't have anything that had to do with like politics or making a stand on anything. Um, and Nike, of course, with their uh, Colin Kaepernick campaign, totally blew that out of the water that you can make a stand. Um, and, uh, and statistically, it seems that a lot of young people won't get a job with a company if it's not in alignment with their core beliefs. So companies are finding that they have to change the work culture so it, it represents something, it stands behind something. So um, do you feel that there's a form of activism that is kind of rising up, even if it's in the smaller category that you were mentioning? Um, do, you, do you see that becoming more, kids becoming more activated on that level? Um, actually, I do. And a, a brief example, we were talking about the Gillette commercial mm-hmm. in class. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Why don't you break that down? Just, just break that down also yeah. if you... Yeah, bring it down because I don't know if everyone knows it. Yeah. Okay, you had this Gillette commercial that started off with um, the the 
olden era, I guess you could say, of men objectifying women, um, you know, whistling at them, staring at them, uh, chasing them, smacking them on the behind. Uh, then it's ta- then it shows uh, little boys fighting, and it's all about uh, boys will be boys, men will be men. And the commercial leads to and says, we, we understand that there, there are good men out there, but it's time for men to hold each other accountable. And it has a clip of Terry uh, Crews, who I adore, uh, says, men have to hold each other accountable. And it's essentially saying, you know, Gillette's uh, line is men, the, the best a man can get. And the whole commercial is about we're not the best that we can get. But we can get there. So is it an, an anti-toxic uh, masculinity? Uh, yes, yeah. anti-toxic and, and that's, masculinity. That's pretty amazing yes. because Gillette used to really stand behind this idea of like a man is a man, right? This old old style of of what what masculinity should right. look like. So um, so it's it's really so. This is, I guess, the, the the crux of my question is. As young people, you know, there's, of course, the apathetic sort of group, which is, I think, a, a lot of people out there, uh, start to, you know, figure out what, what to do next. There's this younger group of people that are becoming activated, and they're responding to these types of ads. Um, these ads are being made because people are responding to them. And these are, this is the type of influence right. that they're going to have moving forward, too. So, so. An interesting concept then is is with influencer marketing, with uh, with the way that that companies have to kind of really make a stand with what they're you know put a flag in the ground with what they represent. Uh, marketing is going to kind of shift into this whole new sort of radicalized uh, direction, isn't it? Yes. Well, I would say, Audra, that there's there's no question that we're we're shifting towards that as the especially as the younger generation gets into more buying power. Um, but right now, for Gillette to take that stand, I mean, it's very very polarizing because I mean, I, I followed a little bit of it on social media, and there are there are people that are like you know hashtag boycott and I mean whatever. There you know there's people that are the old guard that don't want to give up, uh, that don't want to give that up. And it's, um, you know, it's somewhat humorous from a, if looking at it from a distance, at least, uh, in my opinion, but, um, it, it's, uh, it's interesting because for Gillette to do that, that's a, it's a high, it's a bit of a risk because you're risking alienating your core base of clients. I mean, you're risking, um, you, you have people that have used Gillette for years and years and years, and you are, spreading a progressive political message that it's not going to resonate with everybody. So what we, we, we've talked about this on the show before that when you do something like that, you risk alienating a certain section of your audience, but you also deepen the bond with the ones that, um, that do respond to that message. So anytime you take a risk like that, you can deepen that emotional bond. So it's, it's been interesting. I haven't looked at the numbers on Gillette. I know Nike did fine with their Colin Kaepernick ad. Um, I don't know how Gillette's, you know, sales numbers yeah. have been, but it, um, yeah. What do you, what do you have, Brian? Uh, Gillette's in kind of a, a weird, uh, a unique position in that, uh, they may alienate some of their, uh, their crowd. But one thing I've noticed is, you know, women buy a lot of their men's razors. Mm. Um, so while they may be alienating some guys, uh, they're, they're picking up women. And the other thing that I've noticed, and I was, I questioned my class on this and there were several students that says, well, that doesn't make me want to go out and buy a Gillette or I'll never buy Gillette. 
But guess what? They had beards, and they considered beards to be manly. Well, they weren't buying Gillette anyway. Um, right. <laughs> so it was, it, it was, it was, it's really, they're really in a unique position. And to, to answer your question, Andros, it is a strong divide. Um, I have a 27, 28 year old in my class, and he's like, why do people care on whether or not a company takes a stand? And there was a 30 year old who's like, I don't understand. And then you had the 20, two 23 24 year olds in my class were like because it matters i mean it was that sharp of a divide on interesting uh it was it was it was it was really interesting and then i said because this generation is starting to care yeah about and you know uh, you bring up a great point also because i I don't know if you remember a couple years ago when pepsi had that misfire of an ad where they had, they had <laughs> you, you know what I'm talking about? So in, in this ad, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it, Kendall Jenner was doing a photo shoot, and then she hears a commotion outside. She looks outside, and there's, like, some protests going on. So she leaves the photo shoot, and she becomes part of the protest. And it, it, it was, it was, <laughs> so, it was random. so terrible because it was like Pepsi. They don't even right, tell you was, what they're protesting. Like Pepsi wanted to go like, yeah, get behind something. But they, they got, it was a way for them to feel like they were making a stand for something without making a stand for anything. And it was just, it was, it, it, and, and it just it was terrible. It just didn't work because people felt, and it, it, and it was, it felt very hollow. Um, but you know, if 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 uh, individual number one uh, president individual number one has caused <laughs> anything, uh, that made me laugh. He, <laughs> uh, he, uh, he has shown that if you keep playing to your base and really develop your base, you can uh, keep moving forward and and gain traction, and people will talk about you. And and as I always say to uh, to every single time I have a client. And they're posting social media, and I look at their social media, and it kind of sucks. And they're like, what's the problem here? I tell them the same thing. You have to create content that people will talk about. And if you're not creating content that people are talking about, mm-hmm. then you're wasting your time. You're not doing anything. And so, so what, what's going to be fascinating for me watching, you know, uh, watching all of this uh, moving forward is how there are these young people, the ones who are apathetic are are just waiting for something to happen. But the ones who are activated are, uh, you know, the ones who are like, yes, this matters versus the ones who are like, why does it matter? Um, Those are the ones who are going to be doing something and they're going to be creating the content that people are going to be talking about. And so I, I, I see that, that there's going to hit this moment when, when, people are going to realize that you have to be transparent. You have to be in integrity with your brand. Um, and your advertising has got to be uh, distinct in that nature. And you've got to put your foot down and say, this is what we stand for as a brand. And if you, if you don't do that all the way through, uh, then it's, it's going to be hard for you to move forward. I mean, uh, take Apple for instance, Apple had always done well by, showing themselves as, as a brand that, you know, thinks different or is, uh, is unique because they, they, they're so innovative, uh, but they don't have Steve Jobs anymore. And the, the iWatch is not a product that people need. Right. And, and I don't know, you know, the next iPhone isn't going to do it. Uh, and people are, are starting to look at other aspects of Apple, like, you know, 
the, the fact that they practically use slave labor to assemble their phones. And, and that doesn't sit right with a lot of people. So, you know, this is, this is all catching up. And uh, so we're, we're moving into a very, very interesting time. Um, so here, here's a, the, the question that I have for you, Brian. In, in the future, uh, for these young people that are coming up in the world, what's kind of the one bits of the, the, the most important kind of aspects of advice that you would give people who are becoming marketers in this world today? What's the most important thing that you think they, that they should know? Um, that they need to, uh, how can I say this? They, they need to be true to themselves. They need to establish themselves and be true, true to themselves. Um, I hope you're talking about like coming up into the marketing world and after they graduate and just how they're supposed to develop. Because if not, I'm answering the wrong damn question. No, no, uh, this, 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 <laughs> this is pretty much it. But uh, no, I, 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 t I tell my students, um, look, you have to pick something about yourself and you have to stick to it and don't constantly change. And I try to relate to them, you know, when I teach positioning and I teach all the stuff, you know, it's okay to reposition yourself every once in a while. But the problem is, is it gets to a point that nobody knows what they're getting. And people, whether it be employers or it be a, a relationship or friends, you know, they have to know what they're going to get and you can't change all that, um, all that often. And you have to stay true to yourself because if you're not genuine, it seems forced. Just like the, the Jenner commercial, you know, it, it seems it, it was, it was forced. Um, but the ads like Nike and Gillette, the ones that aren't forced and are relevant and not random, they, they're the ones that tend to stick. And that's what I try to tell them, tell my students is that they need to be themselves but they have to, uh, they have to showcase it, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, well, there's one thing that we definitely know about this uh, younger generation that will disrupt everything, uh, and that is the fact that yeah, they're all gonna have a sex robot. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. It's time for the sex robot report. Um. Hmm. Give me more. Yeah. All right. So this story. What do you got for us, Andros? What do you this, got? This comes from the sun.co.uk. Uh, <laughs> this is great. Uh, sex robot owners are swapping used parts and selling bruised and battered dolls on creepy online forum. Secondhand love dolls are being openly traded on the web. You know, when I was a kid, we just traded Star Wars cards. That's what, you know, I... Do they, do they, like, uh, are these, like, uh, are they bruise? Sex robots bruise? It, it says bruised and battered. I'm, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I... Does it just mean they're used? Uh, well... <laughs> I'll say, how do you bruise a how do you, <laughs> What are you doing to a robot to bruise Well, uh, that's, these are all good questions. It's human tissue on an endoskeleton. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Randy... According to the story, Randy bot bonkers flog their secondhand dolls to each other, sometimes for thousands of pounds apiece. The Doll Forum is a go-to destination for owners of the so-called, quote, sex dolls, acting as a safe haven to chat about the best models and sharing explicit photos and videos. Yeah, I don't, I don't need to see your explicit photos and videos of you bruising your sex doll. I really don't. 
Um, but now I'm curious. It's like a car accident. I have to see it. Um, so what, what parts do you exchange? Like, let me, can I get a different leg here? Can I have like one long one, one short one? Kind of play with this, or what? What, what are we doing here? Well, uh, <laughs> the uh, what, on the stall forum, uh, people can pick up used models for just a few hundred pounds. So uh, it's like a, oh, this is a 2014 here. It's a nice one. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, last year's <laughs> model it didn't have that thing with the tongue. That's. Uh, you know, oh, God. so, uh, I mean, can I, can I, does it come with a, 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 a pot big enough that I can boil the sex doll in? Uh, cause I, <laughs> I don't know if I'd want to touch anyone else's sex doll. That's for sure. But, uh, anyway, it's called, well, if the price is right, Andres, if the price is right. <laughs> so it's uh, known as sex robot swapping and, uh, you can, uh, you can go onto this website and basically, Get yourself, uh, you know, trade out parts, you know, just, yeah. So uh, I guess there's a uh, black market for secondhand sex robot parts already. And uh, you heard it here first, go, man. You know, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we, we learned what, uh, what someone who has uh, propensity to oh, have yeah. sex with. What was the word again? Well. It's a digisexual. Digisexual. That's right. Okay. Yeah. We learn, I mean, this is this is amazing. You learn yeah. new things on the show every week. It's you know incredible. what? I aim to please. I aim to please. Uh, Apparently, so do the robots. Oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Brian, uh, got any geek news for us? Unfortunately, I I, I don't. Um, I wish I had some geek news, uh, but I do have a little story for you. Um, driving across country, listen to my favorite podcast. And I stop to get gas, and I leave my door open. And guess what segment comes on with my stereo blasting and everyone at the gas station? Oh, nice, <laughs> everyone, nice. Everyone <laughs> can hear Andros going, oh. <laughs> Give me some horn. Well, I, I, uh, uh, I've got, I've got um, uh, I'll save it for next week, but I, I do have probably the most embarrassing thing that has ever happened to me, happened to me uh, two days ago. And uh, yeah, yeah. Nice. But I will, uh, I will save that. I will save that as a teaser uh, for the next episode. I have, a, I have a little yeah. anecdote I wanted to add because uh, Brian had mentioned how, like, how that Gillette commercial a while back was appealing to women, and I just thought it was funny because, uh, again, because women are buying Gillette. Um, you know, I shave my head; uh, it's a choice, right? I'm not, I'm not balding; it's a choice, <laughs> right? <laughs> 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 uh, um, but, uh, but I just started using like Venus female razors, so it's like I'm moving. You know, I'm using Venus female razors because they have gel padding and it's nicer on my head. And I'm using female. razors. Razors. They're using male razors. What's going on? It's just uh, it's just an insight I had. <laughs> it's dogs and cats living together. It's uh, uh, actually a uh, last geek story before we wrap up the show. I have uh, is actually something you drew my attention to, Justin, and oh, uh, it has to do with the new Joker film. And, oh, uh, I like the Joker. You you. Yeah, you want to you want to share that little anecdote? No, you could share it, but I want to I want to give my review for the movie Glass, or I'm just going to give my two cents on it after you're done with this. So, all right, all right. So, so uh, I read this story too that basically the new Joker film uh, is is already in trouble, and they're they're filming it and they're rewriting the movie as they're filming it. So, uh, a, a quote from uh, yeah, a quote from. I think I think Joaquin Phoenix says, "Yeah, you know, basically we uh, 
we uh, talk about the scene, and then while they're doing my hair and makeup, we're uh, we're writing the lines and preparing for the shoot for the day. And um, uh, unless unless your name is Lars Van Trier, uh, an improv movie, <laughs> an improv Joker movie is not. I don't. I, I don't have high hopes. That's how you prepare for the show. Uh, I don't have high hopes for anything Lars Van Trier puts out. Except my only hopes are that. Well, I, I wouldn't call it a hope, but I know that I'm going to be like visually grossed out for the next like two months of my mm-hmm. life if I go watch a, a Lars Von Trier movie. Oh, I, 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 I loved uh, Melancholia. It was, it was uh, absolutely amazing. That one's actually decent, but if you've ever seen Antichrist, there's a scene in that yeah, movie loved, yeah. where there's actually no, a couple scenes of that movie that are still like etched in my brain that I can't get rid of. <laughs> but uh, anyway, the new Joker movie's in trouble uh, because they are filming it and writing the script as they go. Uh, so never, never gets. Yeah, which is never that great of an idea. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's it's a, it doesn't. I had a lot of hope for this movie. Uh, my biggest issue with the movie is that they have uh, the director of the Joker movie is the same guy that directed The Hangover. He directed Old School. He's directed like all comedies, and I like those comedies, but I don't know that those comedy director gigs translate to making a good like Joker movie. So <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Um, and uh, finally, Other than that, though, I did want to. I just wanted to. I wanted to add that I saw the movie Glass. Yeah. So I saw Glass. If you don't know, Glass is the sequel to two movies that were supposedly unrelated until you learn that they are related. It's a sequel to Unbreakable from the year two thousand, which stars Bruce Willis. It's an M Night Shyamalan movie, and it's a sequel to Split, which stars what's his name. John McElroy. What's his name? John. Why am I blanking on his name? McElroy. Is it McElroy? Makovic. McAvee. John McAvee. No, not Mac. Is it McElroy? Am I crazy? You are. Am I going crazy? Whatever his name is. Whatever his name is, he plays McElroy, right? Yeah. McAvoy. McAvoy. That was it. That sounds better. James McAvoy. McAvoy. He plays uh, the split personality guy. So it's basically a movie where they reunite. Bruce Willis' superhero character with the villain of the split personality guy, the Horde, and then they have Samuel Jackson coming back as Mr. Glass. And it, it's but it's like pretty much all philosophy. There's very little action. I found myself um, a little bit bored. I mean, some of it was interesting. The concepts were good, but it was really, really slow moving. Um, they, of course, it's M Night, so there's like five different twists at the end. But <laughs> I left the theater like. Uh, I guess that was interesting. I don't. I don't know. So it's it's okay. I I wouldn't go see it in the theater. I would recommend renting it. I mean, if you if you're a fan of like Unbreakable, go see it. But just you know, don't spend a lot of money on it. Go see a cheap theater if you're going to go see the theater. So M, M Night Shyamalan made another bad movie. Another one, Ooh. and oh, he has a his cameo is ridiculous in this one too. He he basically he just makes a random cameo, and then he. Uh, He's in like Bruce Willis's store, and if you remember, he made a cameo in the first movie. But he like he plays the same character, so he's like, "Hey, do I recognize you from like 15 years ago?" He says this in the movie. It's it's horrible, just horrible. <laughs> okay, you're uh, you're on my naughty list, Mr. M Night Shyamalan. And with that, Brian McLeod, got anything uh, you want to push? Anything? Uh, anywhere we can find you 
You can find me. Any questions? No questions, but you can find me on uh, LinkedIn, Brian McLeod at LinkedIn, and uh, I'm on Twitter, but I don't have a lot to say. Why don't you, why don't you spell it? Spell it for them because it doesn't spell. It's not spelled like it sounds. B r y a n. Then I am. I have my middle initial T. McLeod. M c l e o d. M c l e o d. Okay, got it. McLeod. Brian, we're gonna have you back on the show uh, because we need to get into law stuff. You know, you're a lawyer as well, and uh, yeah. uh, I want to talk to you about uh, YouTube and. Uh, and we'll we'll have you evaluate my privacy policy live on the air for free. <laughs> <That's great. laughs> uh, my fee is normally five hundred dollars an hour. <laughs> Perfect. We'll do it for free right here on the air. <laughs> Thank you everyone for showing up. Hey, th- Tell everyone your close friends about us. 